This week in KMA Land, KMA Land gets a white and cold Christmas. Shen Council takes stand and carbon pipeline project. Montgomery County Supervisors okay Villisca rezoning proposal. Page County officials old and new take oaths. And more on the legal battle in Page County over wind turbines. I'm Mike Peterson. For the first time in the last several years, there's snow on the ground this Christmas in KMA land, thanks to this week's winter storm. But the projected snowfall didn't materialize, at least in the immediate area. National Weather Service officials originally projected 3 to 5 inches across most of southwest Iowa and southeast Nebraska, but the highest total reported as of Thursday morning by the Weather Service office in Valley, Nebraska, was in Messina with 3 inches. Weather Service meteorologist David Pearson says most areas received about an inch of snowfall. He tells KMA News the storm system's speed prevented greater amounts from falling. It moved through a little bit quicker, and that allowed for a bit less snow to accumulate. So we're seeing those higher accumulations to the east. Despite that, the cold temperatures remain, very cold wind chills, and still very dangerous conditions in terms of temperature, but the snow was a bit on the lower side, which is good. But the storm delivered in terms of high winds and extremely cold wind chills. Pearson says wind chills between 30 to 40 below are still anticipated through the remainder of the week with some improvements by Christmas Day. By Saturday, it's still very cold with wind chills in the negative 20s. By Sunday, though, we'll see things get back much more seasonable with, you know, high temperatures on Christmas getting all the way back into the 20s again, so that'll feel a lot a lot warmer. And Pearson says much warmer temperatures are in the forecast for the last week of 2022. By Tuesday of next week, we'll get back above freezing during the day and possibly into the 40s thereafter for Wednesday and into Thursday as well. That'll feel substantially warmer compared to what we're seeing today. Road crews in KMA land were prepared for what was expected as the first major winter storm of the season. Some plows indeed saw action in the region Thursday morning. Shenandoah Street crews, for example, are out early in the morning removing snow from the city's emergency snow routes. Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen told KMA News Street Superintendent Todd Fouch indicated earlier in the week his department was ready for this storm and for other winter events to come. He has got everything ready. He's uh, ahead on this. Uh, he got his sand and so forth in last week. He's already got recruits lined up from other departments if needed to drive trucks and so forth. So everything we got out of the uh, department head meeting with him was that he is 100% ready for whatever comes in. But other plows were idle because of lower than expected snowfall amounts at least Thursday morning. After surveying road conditions, Page County Engineer J.D. King told KMA News his department's vehicle stayed put due to a lack of white stuff. There's a little bit of snow on the roads in protected areas, and the majority of the pavements have blown off. On the gravels, there's snow in the same areas, you know, where buildings or tree groves have halted the wind. It, the snow has settled out, but there's not enough snow to plow, and uh, we haven't put material down. It'll probably catch the snow and, and create uh, more problems than it would benefit. It's, it's too cold for our uh, sand-salt mix to work on the ice. King, however, says the county is ready in terms of equipment and supplies for other expected bouts with winter weather. All our snow plow trucks are back here operational, suited up with plows and sanders and side mount wings that we have. Our material building is full of sand and salt. We have salt in its storage and calcium in our tanks for top dressing of the material. Also aiding snow removal efforts are the various snow fences erected around the county. We've got snow fence erected in 
strategic locations where it's prone to drift, and that's been to our benefit in these past few years. Well, it's it's been fairly mild the past several years, and and that's that's a benefit to us. Many state highways were were still snow and ice covered as of uh, the afternoon, and may remain that way through the weekend. For further road information in the future, check the Iowa Department of Transportation's map at 511ia.org. Of course, the Nebraska Department of Roads website is 511nebraska.gov. And MoDOT is, of course, travelermoDOT.org. With the arrival of winter weather, KMA land residents became reacquainted with snow removal regulations across the region. Shenandoah officials posted the city's entire ordinance on its Facebook page prior to this week's winter storm. Under the ordinance, a snow emergency is declared whenever snow, ice, or sleet in the forecast calls for two inches or more on city streets. In the event of a snow emergency, no parking will be allowed on the following designated emergency snow route streets. Anna Crows, Mitchell Street, North and South Center Street, Mustang Drive, Church Street, East and West Nishna Road, East and West Clarinda Avenue, Pershing Avenue, East Street, East and West Sheridan Avenue, North and South Elm Street, Tennis Court Road, Maple Street, East and West Thomas Avenue, Matthew Street, and East Washington Avenue, and East and West Valley Avenue. There will be a quiz on this later. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning, Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen says the city has set a priority for snow removal. Remember, you know, the street crews, are, when they do this, they're going to be doing emergency routes, uh, major streets and schools to the hospitals, and then residential, then cul-de-sacs, dead ends, and then the last priority, of course, will be alleys, parking, city-owned parking lots. For all non-emergency routes, residents must park on even-numbered sides of the streets on even-numbered calendar days and odd-numbered sides on odd-numbered days. McQueen hopes residents can help the city and themselves by obeying the ordinance. We don't want any problems with fines and so forth, so I think if everybody abides by the uh, snow emergency, uh, you know, we'll be fine because we don't... You know, the police don't want to get out and have to ticket these uh, cars either. So, um, you know, I just encourage everyone to get on there, check it out, know, know what street you're on, know what the rules are, and, and we should get through this just fine. And leaving your car in the street is a pretty penny. Any vehicles violating the emergency snow route parking are subject to a $50 fine per vehicle. If the fine is unpaid after 30 days, that fine increases by $20. In addition to avoiding trouble, McQueen adds vehicles kept off the streets helps the street crews avoid headaches. I know it's a, it's a hardship for some people with, with just have on-street parking, but uh, there's other places available. You know, hopefully they can put their car. But it, it, it just really increases the, the street department's ability to get out and, and get the streets cleared in, in a good amount of time. And that's what we all want, you know, um, so we, we don't want to drag this thing out for days. We want to get it done as quick as we can, get the snow off the streets, get the sand, salt down, and so forth. If you want more information on Shenandoah's snow removal ordinance, is available on the city's Facebook page, or you can call City Hall, of course. Shenandoah City Council was the latest arena for discussion on the contentious carbon pipeline issue this week. By a 4-1 to one vote Tuesday evening, the council approved a resolution objecting to Summit Carbon Solutions' proposed Midwest Express CO2 pipeline, which would stretch across more than 700 miles across western Iowa, including portions of Fremont Page in Montgomery counties, carrying carbon dioxide from ethanol plants in Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, and South Dakota to a storage facility in North Dakota. The resolution also opposes the use of eminent domain to acquire property for the project, which would serve 31 ethanol plants, including Green Plains' Shenandoah facility and 11 others in Iowa. Jan North 
Norris of Montgomery County is among the landowners impacted by the proposed pipeline. Norris urged the council to adopt the resolution, citing the dangers of transporting carbon dioxide through pipelines and objections to using eminent domain. In Iowa, eminent domain gives government the power to take your property even if you don't want to sell it. Under the Fifth Amendment, eminent domain must be used for public use, which traditionally means projects like roads and bridges. Opponents object to the use of eminent domain for this private project. Norris also cited Summit Carbon's perceived lack of transparency on safety issues. The pipeline companies have a big problem with transparency. They refuse to share the landowner list and argued last week that they don't think the IUB should be able to consider safety information when determining whether to grant this hazardous liquid pipeline permit. They have the models, they just won't share them with the state. And they are refusing to file risk assessments environmental impact studies, and even emergency response plans. Norris also requested that the council adopt an ordinance regulating pipeline projects. Another of the project's vocal opponents praised the council for its stance. Page County landowner Marty Maher recently called on the county's Board of Supervisors to adopt its own ordinance. The Board of Supervisors and the cities are responsible for protecting their citizens. Not the Utilities Board, but the County Board of Supervisors and the cities have that responsibility. The utility board can only do so much. So the responsibility falls on you folks to protect the citizens of Shenandoah, be they in Fremont County or in Page County, because a release anywhere along is going to affect either one. Shenandoah City Administrator A.J. Lyman says the city has concerns about the impacts such as safety questions that have not been addressed. Another concern involves the impact on the city's water system. The proposed line would cross our raw water mains that supply water to the entire town. And if there were a leak or rupture of liquid CO2, it would cause freezing and rupturing of those raw water lines and we would be without water uh, for however long it took to repair that, which could be a major issue. Shenandoah City Attorney Milan Sorensen says the city has jurisdiction on projects within a two-mile radius of city limits. Councilman Tony Graham cast a lone dissenting vote. Graham questioned whether Green Plains officials had been contacted regarding the resolution. Plans for a controversial storage facility near Villisca received a big boost from a majority of the Montgomery County Board of Supervisors. By a 4-1 to one vote Tuesday morning, the supervisors approved the third reading of an amendment to the county's zoning ordinance, rezoning property at 2663 U Avenue from R residential to C commercial. Joshua Kendrick filed for the rezoning in order to establish a storage facility for recreational vehicles at that location. Board members approved the rezoning despite more comments from neighbors against the proposed facility. David Shum of 2664 U Avenue questioned whether a storage operation belongs near Villisca. What's to say in four or five years that he's not making what he wants to make? He sells it to somebody and they put a junkyard in there. To me, <clears throat> I just soon see a house go up there and leave it residential and have a storage outfit. Montgomery County Sheriff John Spinago owns property at 2658 U Avenue. Sounding objections similar to those aired last week, Spinago expressed concerns that the property would eventually turn into a salvage yard. It's not going to benefit the county. If our if our budgets and are counted on tax dollars of $404 or for quadruples to $1,616, we're in a world of mess. It's not going to benefit the county at all. And it definitely does not benefit the residents who live there. As Board of Supervisors, like myself as well, we took an oath 
to take care of the people of Montgomery County in the best interest. And I do not think this is in the best interest of the residents of Montgomery County. Kendrick, however, responded he would never sell the property. This has lots of sentimental value to me, the property itself. So if we don't do anything productive with this lot, it will remain vacant and overgrown and unkempt, most likely. It will be mowed X amount of times a year. People will store hay bales there. People will park equipment there if and when they're harvesting, et cetera. Normal rural farm life, in my opinion. Supervisors Chair Mark Peterson and Supervisors Charlotte Smith, Mike Olson, and Randy Cooper voted in favor of the rezoning. Supervisor Donna Robinson voted against it. Page County's newly elected and re-elected officials were ceremoniously welcomed to the county courthouse this week. I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I support the Constitution. That I support the Constitution. Of the United States. Of the United States. During Tuesday's Board of Supervisors meeting, Page County Auditor Melissa Wellhausen administered the oaths of office to four officials victorious in the November general elections. County Attorney Carl Songson, County Recorder Brenda Esaias, County Treasurer Angie Dow, and newly elected Supervisor Todd Maher. Maher takes his place in the board January 1st after defeating Republican incumbent Alan Armstrong in the June Iowa primary and running uncontested in November. Maher says he is excited and nervous to take on the new role with some big issues ahead for the county. There's a lot of work that uh, we need to do and I'm feeling like I'm up to the challenge and, and uh, I've gotten to meet so many interesting and, and nice people throughout this whole process and, and look forward to uh, serving them. And, and, you know, we've got several big issues that are ahead of us. And, you know, I think keeping the citizens in mind when we're dealing with anything is, is the most important. And so uh, I look forward to doing that. One of the first items the board will tackle to begin the new year is the annual budget preparation for the upcoming fiscal year. Mayher says he has already been working with some department heads to grasp what the budget process could look like. You know, I won't know everything, but I'll, I'll have a good understanding of, of what's, uh, what's going to take place. I've uh, reviewed last year's budget just to kind of get myself familiar with, with the dollar amounts and the departments and things. So, and, and also J.D. King has offered to spend some time with me and go through road use taxes and things like that. Mayor adds Wellhausen and Armstrong have also been helpful in assisting in his transition into the supervisor role. On top of the looming wind projects in the county, Mayher has also been taking in information on Summit Carbon Solutions, proposed Midwest Express CO2 pipeline, and a county ordinance that could regulate the type of line. Mayher supports the county looking into adopting an ordinance, particularly given the safety concerns opponents in the project have pointed out. I'm also concerned about the safety aspect of, of the pipeline to the water system, but not only not only that, but in case of a rupture or something that might happen as close to town as it is in Shenandoah, that could be something of, of great concern. So um, I think, you know, again, as responsibility as supervisors, we have to protect the citizens. While some issues such as the pipeline may spark division, Mayher hopes to bring some common sense and a desire to reach common ground to the board. In related business, the board tabled several resolutions regarding board reorganization, including, but not limited to, appointing a board chairman, authorizing the auditor to issue checks, official newspapers, holidays, and a construction evaluation resolution until the next year when the new board is available to vote on the matters. However, the board did clarify a January 2nd holiday for county employees.
Meanwhile, the legal battle surrounding future wind turbine projects in Page County continues. Recent federal court records indicating hearing is set for January 6th to determine the Southern District of Iowa's jurisdiction in the case and a motion to remand the case back to state court, where petitioners initially filed an over 100-page petition against the county in September. Eilers and Cooney, representing the county, filed to remove the case to federal court in October, where it has sat since. Lawyers Sean Shearer and Theodore Sporer serve as the petitioner's co-counsel, including a number of Page County residents. Shearer tells KMA News that they, along with their clients, are pleased to see a hearing finally scheduled on possibly remanding the case back to state court. We've been saying ever since this was removed to federal court that this was a state law claim and it should be decided by the states. And I think everybody, including Shenandoah Hills, um, has had their say on that issue, and it's time for us to go talk to the judge about it because it should be sent back to state court where it belongs. However, Shearer says they have filed a motion to include some of the original filings made in the case, including a temporary restraining order against the Page County Board of Supervisors. The question of um, whether SHW should be allowed to intervene. We asked for our temporary restraining order to be heard, get an order to prohibit the board from moving forward. Um, uh, with wind energy while the legality of those actions are currently being litigated. Even though a hearing has been set, Spohr says he and his clients are still frustrated with what they feel is delaying the process of looking into the original allegations, which were spurred by years of feeling unheard. We still don't know if they admit that the allegations of the petition are true. So we're three months out on litigation, and my clients, I can't tell my clients what will happen because nothing has happened. And we don't even know, you know, what kind of a court will hear this. Will it be federal? Will it be state? While the board approved the permit application in August, road use and decommissioning agreements between Invenergy and the county are still pending formal approval. Sporer and Shearer expressed confidence in the case being remanded back to state court following the January hearing. At the time of this reporting, lawyers with Eilers and Cooney had not responded to a request for comment. Efforts to fill two city positions in Red Oak continue. Meeting a regular session Monday night, the Red Oak City Council approved the job posting and media replacement for the city clerk position vacated by Mary Bolton, who put in a retirement notice last month. Al Vacanti currently serves as interim city administrator and city clerk. Vacanti says he has begun looking at the various methods the city can use to advertise the position. The Iowa League of Municipalities, you can post that at zero cost because you are a member. I'm also trying to reach out to the Municipal Clerks Association within the state to do that. And then if you want to do that with uh, a local newspaper plus online on, on the website. I can't tell you what the expense would be if there is any with the clerks, but uh, I imagine the only other expenditure would be with, uh, for example, the Red Oak Express. The county says the city could pursue other avenues, including Indeed or LinkedIn, should they not succeed with their initial options. However, he adds the clerk position is typically a more local hire. Red Oak Mayor Shauna Silvius also suggested adding Iowa Workforce Development to the list of locations for the job posting. Silvius says the city would ask for a letter of intent, a resume, and three references. However, the application did not initially include a deadline, but Councilman Pete Wenhoff says a deadline for the job posting could help streamline the selection process. My experience has always been you put an end date just so you know. If I've got this group of applicants, this is who I'm working with. And if you don't like, you post it again. You repost it again. Yeah. But that's just how I've done it. 
After further discussion, the council chose to put an application deadline to February 1, 2023. Additionally, the council approved allowing council members to solicit proposals on possible search firms to assist in finding a new city administrator after Brad Wright retired last month. Sylvia says the move allows council members to look more freely at their options. So this is basically just approve of council folks, which I would assume would be Brian Bills and Scott Keith as the hiring committee, uh, to look into other firms and then maybe make a recommendation back to us in the near future. Councilman Tim Friedhoff says he's already looked into a couple of firms he would forward to the hiring committee to review. After Councilwoman Janice Lester suggested having a recommendation as soon as possible, the council asked for Bills and Keith to have proposals brought to the council at its January 3rd meeting. Red Oak school officials hope to rein in rising health insurance costs for the next school year. During its regular meeting earlier this week, the Red Oak School Board approved setting a defined district contribution for health insurance for all covered employees at the current levels for the 2023-24 school year. Ron Lorenz is superintendent of the Red Oak Schools. Lorenz says the decision to set a specific contribution comes as the ability to keep up with continued increases is starting to catch up with the district. The past few years, we've seen 10% increases in health insurance we're expecting another significant increase this year so we know that we've got to do something to get a handle on our insurance costs we conducted a, a market comparison recently that showed uh, we're already spending much more on insurance than most of the districts in our region and that's that's going to be even more challenging moving forward Lorenz says the district is part of a trust with other schools and education organizations that are assessed annually as a result, he says the district's usage of insurance benefits often dictates the increase. If you're a district that has relatively few claims, you might get a 0% increase. If you have a moderate number of claims or amount of claims, you're going to get a 59 or a 6% increase. If you have a high number of claims, that's where you're looking at the 9.9% or the 10% increase. We have a very veteran staff. As, as all of us get older, we're more prone to, to use those insurance offerings, to use those benefits. In the past few years, we've come back pretty high. Of the 70 districts in the trust, Lorenz's 54 already have a combined contribution or divine benefit. On top of serving as a cost-saving and budgeting measure, the superintendent says it also allows employees to shop for a possible benefit. Which means you have a set amount that the district offers, and then employees have the opportunity to select different plans based upon their needs, based upon how much they want to pay. So when we crunch some numbers... We know that if, if somebody wants to stay with the current offering of a $1,500 deductible, it's going to cost them more. You know, if we have a 10% increase, they are looking at about $82 a month. But if they want to move to a higher deductible, a $2,500 deductible plan, for instance, you know, they might pay $15 per month. Lorenz says the plan is to put together a committee comprised of various school employees who will utilize the insurance to discuss the possible offerings and make a recommendation to the board. Lorenz says the committee intends to meet with the district's insurance broker January 18th. For almost half a century, KMA Land residents have included the Baird family's Christmas lights display on their holiday itinerary. From a simple string of lights donated to Montgomery County farmer Jack Baird, 
The display morphed into a vast menagerie of decorated buildings and animated characters, and a steady stream of vehicles drove past the Baird residence at 1233 E Avenue north of Red Oak Sunday evening when KMA News got a close-up glimpse of the entire operation. Jack Baird's son Chris tells KMA News visitation has been brisk since the display was lit for the first time this season back on December 10th. The first Saturday night when we turn them on is always real busy and Sunday night and then during the week people got activities and stuff going kind of slows down and it gives us a little time to kind of work with them and fine-tune things without a big crowd of people. KMA Land residents still have time to see this year's display. Lights at the Baird Farm are turned on every night from 5 to 10 p.m., weather permitting, until New Year's night. And more information is available from the Baird's Christmas Lights Facebook page. And that wraps up this Christmas Eve edition of This Week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to kmaland.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. On behalf of the KMA News Department, Ethan Hewitt, Ryan Matheny, and gang, this is Mike Peterson wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. So long, my friend.